what really grinds my gears? No, but I don't see you coming up with anything. Why don't you get with the freaking program? And that, people, is what grinds my gears. All right, folks, uh, giving a quick phone call to uh, Big Rig here and see what's grinding his gearbox today. All circuits are busy. Please try your call again later. Announcement 8. All circuits are busy. Please try your call again later. Announcement 8. Well, and there you have it, folks. That's what's grinding Big Rig's gearbox today. Thanks for checking in, Big Rig. We appreciate it. Welcome back, Flight Suit Friday podcast listeners. I'm sitting here with my co-host, Kenny. How you doing? Good, Sam. How are you, sir? I'm great, man. I'm excited. This uh, this episode and the next two that we have after that is something that I've been wanting to do for a while. I've been bugging Ryan about. Um, so today, we're going to be talking with one of the crews from the motor vessel Golden Ray Rescue in St. Simon Sound. That's the uh, crew outside of that came out of Savannah. Um, just a, a quick background to get everybody caged again. This was the row row that turned over on its side. Um, the 656-foot-long uh, vessel had about 4,200 cars on it. It was transiting from Brunswick, Georgia, up to Baltimore. And as they were coming out of the harbor and making a turn, um, something probably wrong with the uh, center of gravity, is my guess, on the ship, caused the ship to roll on its side. So 24 people on board, lots of agencies. Uh, the air station sent out three different helicopters over the course of 36 hours and uh, extracted a number of people and helped, uh, you know, Coast Guard small boats and other other agencies get all the, everybody off of there. So real cool stuff. Yeah, I'm excited for this episode to hear uh, what the crews went through and what they were thinking. Great. Well, without further ado, we'll get started. All right, folks, let's dive into it. Uh, on the phone and here in the studio, I got the crew of uh, uh, 6531, the first aircraft, I believe, that went out in this case. So, uh, Hayden, you're sitting across from me. Why don't we start with you? Can you introduce yourself to the to the listeners here? Yeah, I'm Hayden Kelly. I'm an AET2 here at uh, ATC Mobile. Uh, at the time, I was in Savannah, Georgia. Okay. And what's your background? So, I'm um, a 65 guy. Um, before ATC Mobile, I was at Savannah, and then before that, I... Uh, did a non-rate tour on the Coast Guard Cutter Forward out nice. of Portsmouth, Virginia. Best tour you've had? Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Well, welcome, dude. We're, we're excited. Uh, who do we got on the line? Let's, let's start with uh, you, Rob. All right. Rob Minio here, lieutenant. Uh, just showed up to Mobile this summer to learn how to be an instructor pilot. And hopefully after this exploration, we get that underway. Nice. Uh, prior to here, I was stationed in Savannah with Hayden and the rest of the crew. Spent uh, four and a half years down in Savannah prior to that uh, commission in the Army back in 2006 and flew Chinooks for a couple of years before seeing, uh, learned about the Coast Guard and lining things up to uh, make the transition of, uh, back in December of 2016. Nice, dude. Awesome. Well, we're stoked to have you. Um, and who else we got? You, what's your, who's your co-pilot? Is that you, Max? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Max Chernow here. Uh, Air Station Savannah. Prior to that, was down in Miami. I uh, went to the C Spy program, and then prior to that, was actually did a non rate tour at MSU Savannah. Nice. So, hodgepodge of different stuff. Yeah, that's cool. Welcome. And then, uh, last but not least, we got uh, Eric Young on the phone. You want to say hi? Hey, how y'all doing? Good, good. Where you been, Eric? You, you're a first class, right? Correct. Uh, first class. Um, so in Savannah currently, um, actually put my letter in, so I'll be retiring here um, next summer. Nice. And then, uh, yeah, so looking forward to that. And then, um, so prior to here, I was at the schoolhouse as an instructor, um, and then Astoria, that's my first tour as a swimmer. And then I was a dirty boaty for a little bit, so I was uh, MK at uh, Sector New Orleans uh, over on the lakefront. Yeah. And then on uh, the Dallas, the mighty Dallas, I don't think it's around anymore. Mighty Dallas, yeah, she's... Probably in Vietnam, or sold somewhere, <laughs> sold to some other country. Oh man! Well, welcome, guys. Um, really excited uh, to get to talk to you. You guys uh, were the first crew on scene, right? That's right. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. All right, um, cool. So, hey, let's let's time travel back. So it's uh, September eighth, 
2019, you guys are sitting around on duty. What was your first notification that uh, the Golden Red uh, flipped over? <laughs> uh, well, since they were sitting around, we are actually peacefully in our slumber at that point. Really, uh, if you want to set the scene, it kind of started the afternoon before that. We, we had both duty crews back in Savannah, uh-huh. and uh, we're going a full day of football. We put a slow country boil together, courtesy of uh, Eric Young there. And, uh, man, just what a, what a great day of nothing much going on. We had a training flight and just a whole day of football. So, um, that sounds you know, awesome. by the time we all turned in for the night, we we're like, Hmm, it's been a good duty day. And, uh, see you boys in the morning. Yeah. Well, uh, that happened to be, I think, uh, a little shy of two o'clock in the morning when, uh, we heard, uh, or watched Sander go ahead and make the pipes pick up on Starline. And from there, you know, eyes are still crossed you're kind of like coming to you know we get sector on the phone saying that they have uh reports of a capsized cargo ship with 25 people in the water so yeah that's... moment there like yeah this isn't real life <laughs> how are we, we gonna pull that off yeah what, what, what were you guys uh well hayden you're sitting right here uh what were you thinking were you like well, we gotta grab the uh mass rescue life raft and get out the door kind of thing or yeah i think we did have that discussion um, for sure. But fortunately the airport was right next to where the golden ray capsized. Oh, really? Right. So you guys went down middle of the night, good weather, bad weather. What were we looking at? It was pretty good weather. Pretty clear all the way down from what I remember. Yeah. Yeah. What were you thinking, Max? Was this your first, uh, SAR case there in Savannah? Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. Um, think I, I was trying to look back before before i came on this podcast i think i graduated t course the week prior really and i think that and i think yeah i think this was my like fourth qualified flight or fifth qualified flight in 65 and definitely i mean definitely first sar case and i think second duty day i think tracking you know looking back at things um so you know it, you know the that call came in and I was like, all right, well, I guess this is like what happens every single time you come on duty. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's so, that's wild. So yeah. It's pretty wild. Yeah. So that, you know, look, you know, looking back at it and I mean, you know, I'm FP with advanced SAR right now and it's, you know, it's funny looking back at it and thinking like, Oh man, you know, I, I, you know, brand spanking new doing something like that. Kind of, kind of wild. Mm-hmm. His yeah. first words on scene were awesome. <laughs> were they really? What? What did I? What did I say, Hayden? I, I remember <laughs> we were about to pull into a hover, and you just said, "Awesome." <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It was, and then yeah. I mean, I, I luckily I had I had a seasoned uh, helicopter pilot in the right seat, but uh, for sure, you know, it was it was a combination of of him doing some pretty sweet stuff over there, and 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 Hayden flying the aircraft from the from the uh, sliding door, and then. Rob just looking at me and be like, Hey man, yeah, we're, we're, we're doing it. You know, we're here. And I was like, okay. Hey Eric, uh, y- you've been doing this for a while. Were you getting geared up? Were you like, okay, cool. 25 people in the water. Uh, let me go brush my teeth and, uh, maybe grab a snack or are you, um, jazzed up, ready to go? No, I was jazzed up. I mean, obviously at first you, you do this for a while and you're just like, whatever this be it. Um, and, um, but then as, more and more information started coming along. I was kind of listening quietly, but the, like they started getting reports of like the river pilots aren't seen, like the fire departments aren't seen and everybody confirming that. Yes, there is a big massive ship on overturned. It was like, Oh shit. All right. This, this, this might be real. Um, yeah. and I remember in the background, um, I think it was Cerno, Mr. Cerno had, had mentioned like, Hey, if we got the, the or the, uh, JZI crew here, the Charleston guys, uh, maybe we should bring those. And um, as we were getting ready to leave, we're just like, yeah, that's. Has anybody like let's let's make sure we get those guys out there because if there actually are twenty five people, like this is going to be all freaking nice. Yeah. Um. And so that was that was definitely for being brand new. That's pretty pro pro call right there to to think of that. So that was nice having them. It, it kind of worked out worked out good. Um, yeah. Having two helicopters, we have a tag team that. Yeah. So Rob, this kind of question is for you, ORM. Uh, did you call ops? Were you trying to think of, hey, what, what's different about this? Or were you guys just getting out the door? 
So, yeah, that, that definitely uh, warranted a call to ops immediately after the initial uh, discussion with the sector. Um, you know, I had only been standing duty as an aircraft commander for yeah, a little over two months at that point, and this was my first uh, first non-flare case as a uh, aircraft commander. And um, I called up uh, our acting ops, Russ Mathis, and I uh, was like, hey, man, here's the case. And he's like, whoa. Okay. Seems pretty wild. Mm-hmm. You got this, man. I was like, I, I think we're low at this point. You know, there's a good chance it could go to high, but if there are 25 people in the water, the game, you know, we can all agree is high there. And um, after lacing my boots up, getting all dressed, I decided, let me call Sector back to uh, see how the story has changed in 10 minutes. And from that point, they said, yeah, there's no confirmed PIW, but confirmed ship is on its side. There's about three or four injuries, and we think there's 24 people, uh, you know, part of the crew. So that, uh, you know, that, that certainly adjusted some of the things that we as a crew decided, uh, you know, we, we didn't meet the 30-minute launch window. It's probably about 40 minutes by the time we got into the call and got on the air. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, one thing that kind of stuck out in my mind is the, the uh, sector requested the mass casualty wrap. I had to back up almost two years and remember during my right to skills, uh, ground phase where we, we discussed that topic and one of the instructors at the time was like, yeah, I don't think we have any that are actually serviceable. <laughs> you know, we brief it, but there's none that are working. So I thought this will be cool. Yeah. Uh, but we, we did talk about it as a crew. We said, hey, we have no mass casualty wrap. Uh, there are injuries, but, you know, how about we take a, uh, might have been Eric that suggested it or Hayden, I can't remember. They said, how about we take another crew raft with us? If we don't need it, we can kick it out. Um, that can at least, you know, if we had to send out that and our cruise raft, you know, if we're so close to the airport and we have all these vessels on scene, we can get some people in there. And so we, we elected to take that and advise the uh, crew of the 4-4 to bring a litter. Again, if they didn't need it, they could just, you know, kick it out and start start taking people on. Yeah. that's That's crazy. So how far was the uh, ship from where you guys were taken off from, flight time-wise? Ooh, let's say about maybe 45. Okay. Yeah, about 40 to 45 minutes. Okay, cool. 45 minutes. So you guys uh, do your quick uh, brief before you take off. You bring the extra crew raft, and then you get going. You get on scene. What was your initial thoughts other than awesome? (laughs) Yeah. Well, it was nighttime, so the way the Golden Ray was laying on its side, it almost just looked like part of the city. Really? Until we got a little bit closer to it. Yeah. yeah. Pretty large ship. That's what, that's, that's what I thought initially, because I, I was looking around, you know, and I was kind of playing DJ on the radios, you know, as, as Rob was flying up on the coastline. And I, you know, periodically peek up, kind of check everything out, and, and then, you know, Rob's like, all right, you know, I got in sight. I look up and I was like, I was like, what are you looking at? Cause it kind of just look, it, it just blended in, looked like a bunch of hotels, I guess on the coastline. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, dude, it's right there. And you know, I kind of like focused in a bit and sure enough, there's, there's a, you know, a big old, one of those row rows right on the side, uh, in the middle of the, uh, the channel there. Yeah. Can you guys expand upon who else was there? Cause I think you guys mentioned that the tugs and, and like the pilot vessel was there. Who else was out there? Small boat station. Okay. Is there one in Brunswick? Small boat station Brunswick? I yeah, there is. Something like that? They're okay. very close, yeah. Yeah. And then just uh, a little background for the listeners here. From an article that I read, it sounded like um, half of the ship was in the shipping channel or was it like going into deep water. And uh, initially the tugs got in there really quickly and pushed the boat over to the shore to, to ground it so that it wouldn't sink and, and trap all the survivors in it. Is that kind of what it looked like when you guys got down there? That's exactly what it looked like. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, there, was a, there was a tug on the, uh, remember it was on the, I guess, I mean, what used to be the port side was now, was now the top side of the boat. Okay. You know, flipped over and there was a tug right there kind of on the app portion, you know, you know, and you can see, you could see the prop wash from the back of it and it was, and it was kind of motoring it up, you know, off the outside of the shipping channel into that shallower water, which that was also kind of wild to see too. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing that gets me is that this ship turned over in the channel and if it had made it into safe water and then made a turn, 
and then t- capsize, like it could have been a completely different story because that ship probably would have went down pretty quick. Oh yeah, I've heard the uh, you know the audio pulled from the ship, you know, post investigation, and wholeheartedly agree uh, that would have been a much different case had that thing made it into open water. I mean, it was just by you know misfortune and good fortune that it occurred where it did happen at. Yeah, yeah. Is that audio? That's not out for public release, is it? I don't know if it's public. I know it was uh, you know, shared with me like via yeah, other Coast Guard personnel. But yeah. uh yeah, it's just by the time, you know, the crew's asking what's going on and you hear the uh the shuffle go on of that thing capsizing like just a matter of mere seconds. I can't imagine what that ride was like, you know, in the bridge or on deck anywhere. No, I mean, I'm assuming that bridge is, you know, a hundred yards wide. Well, not a hundred yards wide, but the I think the ship's hundred and fifteen feet at the beam, so the the bridge is probably like 60 feet wide. It's big, six-story building. Okay, so you guys get on scene. I'm, I'm just trying to put myself in your guys' shoes. Uh, here it is, this giant ship that's flipped over, and there's boats all over the place. You, the initial call is that there was 25 people in the water. How did you guys start prioritizing like what to do and how to do it? And that's, that's a great question. Um, yeah, like I said, coming up on scene, we had already completed our rescue check part one. Uh, got in comms with the uh, 45, uh, small boat station 45, probably about five miles away. You know, a lot of chatter on the radio, obviously. Yeah, uh, they're talking with the tugboats and other DNR vessels on scene. Um, yeah, we see this apartment building in the water on its side. And uh, kind of, we talked about it. We're like, cool, we found it. And then, huh, how do we? Yeah. First, we had to figure out where the front and the back were. (laughs) What do we do do now? Yeah. yeah, You know, that that was, you know, probably about 20 minutes to finally, like, (laughs) finalize that uh, issue. Um, But uh, we started talking to the uh, coxswain of the 45, and he just said, hey, man, look around for some flashlights. And the first, uh, I think maybe Eric saw it, the first thing we saw was a flashlight uh, being, you know, aimed towards us on the starboard bridge wing that was probably, I don't know, about 110 feet off the water at that point based on uh, the way that the ship was uh, sitting. And we saw a group of people up there and we thought, hey, that looks like our first customers. So uh, kind of talked about it as a crew. I was very hesitant to let Eric come off the uh, hook by any means. So I said, hey, I want to do this as a direct. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to, you know, we'll try to get in there, secure them as best you can. Once we have them secured, then we should probably back off uh, come back and left to avoid knocking people off the deck railing and whatnot with the uh, rotor wash. Yeah. Eric, did you, uh, obviously you've been out to Ahars. Did you see this as like a vertical surface case at this point? Um, for that one, there was a lot of uh, stanchions and whatnot because it was on its side in the way. Yeah. Um, later on, there's another one I was thinking that, um, th- that it would have been perfect, but try to explain a little bit um, on scene and it just, um, it just seemed like it'd be more confusing um, as I was trying to explain how to go about it. Yeah. Um, in flight without any of the crew having um, been to it, to just go ahead and we're just we're just we're just gonna go straight down and pluck them off like a direct deployment out of the water type deal. Gotcha. Uh, so initially um, that was a thought, and then we just went ahead and scratched it and just keep it simple with what everybody knows on the on the plane. Okay, so you guys are over the pilot house now, right? And then uh, going down to pick up one survivor. Um, visual cues up front, Rob. How is it for you? Probably pretty good. Do you have a lot of ship to see since it's a huge one? So the uh, yeah, I think the bottom half of the ship kind of blended in. It was we had great weather, but it was pretty low illumination. Okay, not a whole lot off Jekyll Island because we were facing the south. Yeah, but uh, left and right visual cues were pretty great peripherally uh, I could see around the goggles and you, you kind of saw the boxes the containers lining the uh, you know the, the top of the deck on the side so as long as I looked over and didn't drift too far forward I had plenty to look at um, I think the biggest thing initially was uh, you know as you're only only an hour from having been woken out of your sleep as I thought oh, give me some hubbock let's make this easy yeah and as we transitioned forward you know, that's why you always keep your hand on the collective. Uh, started feeling that thing pulling, and I'm like, all right, Max, that was a rookie mistake on my part. Disengage it. Yeah. Um, but then we started having, you know, the rat out starting to bounce off uh, 
pretty erratically. So, you know, you get a lot of oral distractors. So, um, I was like, Hey man, yeah, throw the collective for a moment. I got to take my bug off scale cause we don't need that. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we avoided 40 foot horn. Like when that was the thing. Yeah. And so, uh, <laughs> we just kept his bug set. And I told him, Hey, look at the, uh, bar out. We'll go off the, um, you know, I'll give you an altitude, a range that I'll stick to on that. And if you see the ship coming up, then, you know, we'll pull power. But, um, yeah, man, it was, yeah, just kind of, kind of working it from there. Yeah. So as you guys are going through this, uh, brief, you know, I'm listening to your story and it kind of, um, brings me to, I think it was Atlantic city case where the swimmer went, you know, under the, the vessel, Eric, for you, was there any consideration of like, Hey, maybe I shouldn't go on the internal portion of the ship because this thing might flip over. Uh, if I'm on the hook and that cable parts and it drops me down, did, did you have any discussions about that? Um, initially, no, because um, there's everybody we saw, there's plenty of survivors on the outside of the ship. So we weren't even at a point of starting to look internally um, mm-hmm. until basically we got everybody off. And then uh, once we got to that point, um, it was something that sector or district had actually brought up. Um, I was actually kind of shocked that they did, um, since the vessel was on its side and on fire. Um, there was a fire team that was also talking about trying to figure out how to get inside. Um, so Nate and I actually, um, went off to the side and discussed our comfort with it and both came to the decision. Like it's, it's, it's not worth it because we're coming from the top is where we'd have to go to, um, a maze of corridors and who knows whatnot and fires where we don't know. Um, so we opted not to. And, um, at that point, that's kind of when I went down on the Coast Guard boat with the fire team and we were driving around. This is during the daytime now, um, or early morning and just, um, driving around the vessel trying to find a lower point to maybe try to get the fire department on. Cause at that point, it seemed more like their gig, um, with fires on the vessel that they've, they've got the equipment, they know how to do that kind of stuff. Um, so, I guess, yeah, long story short, for me and Nate, no, going inside was, was not an option for how big it was. And just, again, not knowing how stable it was, uh, whether it was it, it could still roll at any minute at that point. Hindsight, is sitting there high and dry. Um, but at the time, we didn't know that. Okay. All and right. Eric, so- you're referring to the last four crew members, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah so just a little backstory for, for the listeners. They got... There were 24 people on board, um, mostly Korean, Filipino crew, and then there was the the U.S. Uh, citizen that was the the pilot of the vessel, and four people got trapped in the engine room. They did end up getting them, and that was the third crew, uh, who we'll talk to later. But uh, you guys specifically did like a couple of hoists throughout the night, and then um, it sounds like, Eric, you jumped onto the boat in the morning. But um, can you guys expand a little bit about the fires that were there? Hayden, like, were you seeing flames off the boat? So I didn't see flames but there was a pretty significant amount of smoke coming from more towards like the center of the vessel okay uh the cars that are loaded i guess they do keep a small amount of fuel in each one and when they slid to one side from what i understand it started a fire internally Uh, okay so i believe it got pretty hot inside the row row um and so we we did have to deal with maybe less visibility on certain sides of the vessel because of the smoke yeah, absolutely. At one point, it did. It did at one point begin to fill the cabin, so yeah. we actually had to transition into forward flight and reorbit and reposition at one point. Did it really? Yeah. So we're moving in now for our first hoist. Uh, you want to, Hayden? You want to walk us through it and what it was like? Because you're going to the bridge wing, right, to pick up somebody off of there. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So <clears throat> the depth perception was probably the most challenging part. Mm-hmm. Felt like hoisting in an urban environment. I mean, essentially, it was. Um, th- my biggest concern were the obstacles that I would have to essentially thread Eric through. Yeah. And the, what was the bulkhead was now the deck and, you know, I can't imagine it'd be more than maybe 10 feet wide. Yep. So my biggest concern was to try to put Eric on what was the bulkhead and to not hit any of the crew members either. Mm-hmm. How uh, many people were out there at that time? I think it was two to four. Okay. I can't remember for sure. Yep. Um, but we, I believe we hoisted two before we needed to go and refuel. Yeah. 
uh, we landed at Brunswick mm-hmm. and came back out to continue our search. Right. Um, condition of those survivors, good, bad. Uh, I mean, Eric, I guess you could jump on that one. Um, all of them were, were good, except yeah. for uh, we had one guy that had a, um, I believe it was a um, broken foot is what he was saying. He couldn't walk on it. Okay. Um, but it was a quick transit, so there was really no time. We were just were plucking people off, taking them to the um, airport, and then ambulance were there picking them up from there. Yeah, so so it sounds like it was ended up being a pretty seamless hoist. Not not too. I mean, it was obviously challenging. You know, who hoists the side of a, a vessel? But uh, that's awesome. Um, what do yeah, you I think the uh, the first hoist was definitely since we weren't putting uh, Eric down too far. Yeah, uh-huh. you know, it's a tire, so uh, less obstacles to deal with. And following that one, after we backed away, I think the uh, the remaining people that were up on that bridge wing somehow made their way down to the 45 um because we we went to go move in for you know subsequent voice and we're like oh there's nobody there and we saw some people loading in the back of the uh 45 down on the uh port bridge wing okay so we confirmed with them that you know some people had made it down there that's when we repositioned over to the um over to a, a basketball court that was more towards the uh the turn of the vessel and they were about 20 feet above the water line, maybe on the port side, uh, standing on some deck railing. And yeah, I'd like to say we intentionally, you know, located the guy that had the foot injury, but that was basically the first, uh, survivor that Eric went to at that location. But that was the one that I think those three hoists that we eventually did from there were the most challenging because we're at the same altitude, but you have the, uh, big superstructure antenna off to the left, mm-hmm. the max was keeping an eye on, and then some other quite a few vertical obstructions off to the right. So it's just kind of a narrow area. Uh, like you mentioned before, you know, had I been a little bit more savvy with vert surface, we probably could have mitigated some of the risk. But at this point, it was just you know, holding a 150-foot hover as plumb as possible with Hayden, you know, working his magic and wanting us to, uh, to keep Eric safe and the survivors. We, uh, you know, put him down and brought them both up. So just to make sure I got the uh, the timeline right here. So you, you get on scene. Hey, look for some some flashlights. You guys see people on the bridge wing. You hoist two people. And at that point, you guys had to go back for fuel drop the two people off at that airport. Then you came back, and that's when you guys were hoisted to the, um, was it the basketball so court you said? Or? We, we pulled one survivor off the bridge wing, and from there, the rest scurried down the bridge. And... Um, the second survivor was from the basketball court. There was a, uh, a tugboat that was just below their position, and they had uh, heaved the line up there. But, you know, understandably, the uh, survivors were hesitant to, you know, go down that line or try to jump into the water. And so for the second hoist is when we relocated over there and, um, you know, executed that from the high hover. Yeah, 150 feet. I mean, that's – you're pretty much at, almost at the max of that cable. You don't have too much – I mean, you got what sixty-ish yeah. feet of wiggle room there, but yeah, it was you know certainly to give us a little bit of a buffer in case uh, you know we had kind of any kind of like engine engine loss to you know give us a chance to transition forward. Hopefully, not take Eric over with us, you know, shear yeah. him but not drop him. Yeah, oh, that's a great. Qu- I didn't even think about that. What uh, Eric? What was your shearing uh, discussion for this hoisting evolution? Um, <laughs> I'm uh, actually not. <laughs> <laughs> Don't. Uh, I, was just, I, I think we were all yeah exactly um next, that's kind of next. the biggest thing is, is just um one either the boat giving way and taking me with the cable and the helicopter out or them losing an engine um and having to fly there, there's basically no fly out we basically had nothing so it's it just i guess just cut me loose right there because we yeah. had literally we had zero options we were very um committed would you say that's pretty accurate there, Mr. Uh, Minio? Agreed. Uh, that, that was that's probably the most challenging question I've ever had in like my flying career so far when Eric said, what happens if you have to shear me or if you lose an engine? So, Eric, we're at a, we're at a very vulnerable position. Um, our best uh, course of action with this hope is to not drag you over the side with us. We'll have to transition. Maybe we'll bounce off the side of the ship and be able to continue flight based off the, uh, the angle that the uh, side of the hole was. I said, but, yeah, I, I don't have a good, safe answer for you. You know, this is getting into the 
you know, high to extremely high risk, but you do have three people there that don't have uh, much of a good option. So mm-hmm. you're good with it. We'll just have this engine, uh, yeah, stays running well. Yeah. I mean, Hayden, you're shaking your head over here. What did you think as a flight Mac in that perspective? Yeah. So, uh, Eric, I definitely would not have sheared you at 150 feet. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, if we lost the engine, I, you know, if, if we got close enough to a water safely, I would have sheared them after yeah. at least being below yeah. 40. Um, but yeah, Eric, he took a big risk to do that. Yeah. That's for sure. That's wild. Um, quick drop and everybody, Eric, was that what you guys were doing? Yeah. Okay. Um, Max, we haven't really talked to you too much, man. Uh, how are the comms? I'm assuming they're probably crazy over there in the left seat, especially for somebody who's a week out of T course. Yeah, it was, uh, I was definitely playing DJ over there. Um, for the most part, when we rolled up, I think it was pretty chaotic. We had the tugboat, uh, on 16 and then we had station Brunswick on 16. And then there were some other, there were some other vessels in the vicinity, um, and, you know, but as soon as I think, I think when everything calmed down is, you know, when we started piping up and, um, I think there was one point that, you know, r- you know, Rob kind of was like, Hey man, go ahead and just tell everybody to be quiet on the radio and just kind of take charge. So, mm-hmm. you know, that was, that was a great, um, great idea. Cause you know, I kind of piped up and, you know, and said, Hey, listen, you know, everybody quiet on the radios real quick, you know, and then this is you know, a uh, opportunity to point people out. And then we started, you know, querying like, all right, Hey tugboat, you know, do you see anybody stationed? Do you see anybody? And, and they were kind of pointing people out and then, you know, and, and it got a little more organized on the radios after that. But, um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, and, and, and it's interesting, you know, in hindsight, we had this conversation like, and, you know, you always have this conversation, well, like, do you switch them off channel 16 to stop clogging it? Or, you know, is this what channel 16 is made for um, kind of thing? So, you know, it, it, it would coordination for switching be too complicated and you'd miss some things. Um, I think, you know, in hindsight, it's probably it was probably a good idea to just keep everybody on on one six, mm-hmm. even though it was clogging it. Yeah. And don't, don't mention, Max, that uh, we also experienced an audio mixture failure, which oh, we yeah. feel about few minutes before arriving on scene because uh hayden and eric were like are they gonna talk to us and we're like yeah oh, yeah we've been talking to him so max had to uh get real real savvy on uh playing the telephone game of relaying information back and forth oh man so max we we've been talking about how you were a week out of t course and here you find yourself in this kind of surreal position where there's a 600 foot ship laying on its side you're pulling people off. You're working radios. Sounds like maybe an EP in there. If at some point during this complex hoisting evolution, Rob was like, hey, uh, I think I'm losing the bubble. You, your controls and Eric's dangling 150 feet down on this ship. Like, Did, did you feel ready to take the controls? So, you know, that's, that's a great question. I think we've, you know, we all kind of, every time we, you know, we all meet up, we kind of just go through this exact scenario and like we talk about visual references and, and initially the transition into the boat and how the bow rail or the, the side rails were kind of running perpendicular to the helicopter. Um, as we approached the boat, I think visual references were kind of tough, but I, I, I think I was, I think on the left side of the aircraft, Rob was talking already about this. We had an antenna and then I had the, the, uh, kind of, I guess, the gunnel rail of that massive vessel mm-hmm. that was running perfect the aircraft. So on the left side, the hover references actually weren't weren't terrible. You know, if you if you pick out a couple things and kind of move the helicopter around that, you know, that and this is me saying this having now experience with hoisting. But um I think um I think, you know, if if Rob had a momentarily passed me the controls, you know, after we had transitioned, I think it would have probably you know, I, I think I probably could have maintained some sort of stable hover to at least get Eric um, back in the helicopter so we can move back. But that's, you know, this is definitely an extraordinary situation, especially being straight out of the T course from. So, but um, yeah, it's funny. We have, we have these conversations all the time every time we kind of meet back up. Yeah. And I think it's really important to just talk about, you know, we, we train a lot and 
we go through these hoist briefs and these vessel briefs. And then sometimes we find ourselves in these spots and um, we don't, you know, we'll spend six minutes doing a hoisting brief with our contract boat or the, the station. And then you get into a real world scenario and you, there's that time pressure. You're staring at people that, that need help. But I think it's important that we go oh, through yeah. those each time we train because I feel like um, maybe you guys didn't explicitly talk about what to do with share, but everyone, there was just a mutual understanding that we knew what was going on and Hayden wouldn't make the right call. And you guys up front would make the right call to give Eric the best chance of survival should, you know, that worst day happen. So it sounds like you guys were yeah. just really clicking on all firing on all cylinders. That's awesome. Yeah. It was Solomon. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Not quite the Solomon. Yeah. Uh, Got to give kudos to uh, Max. There's not many. I uh, always like, yeah, give him a little crap for it, but his confidence was actually fantastic for being. Uh, yeah, he, he never came off as being shaken by any means. Like, uh, very confident, composed. Certainly having a uh, a confident uh, co-pilot for you know a newer aircraft commander in a complex situation like that was quite uh, quite calming. I think for the crew. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it reminds me of the other uh, interview we did with the Humboldt crew, and and the co-pilot on there was, uh, I think that was his first major rescue, uh, first case. Yeah, Adam, Adam Ombi. Yeah, Adam, Adam Ombi, mine. Yeah. So, um, can you guys talk a little bit about uh, your second sortie in terms of having the other crew? Did they get out on scene at that point? Were you guys working dual helicopter on this vessel? Yeah, it was during our uh, second hoist of that first sortie that uh, the 4-4 arrived on scene. They checked in with us and we said, hey, you know, we're, we're finishing up this hoist here. Uh, we're getting close to bingo since you're on scene. We'll wrap this up. We know there's two more people down on the uh, deck railing on the basketball court. And they, uh, I think they kind of made up their minds that they were going to go for the uh, the captain and the pilot in the uh, bridge. Okay. And so uh, they kind of stayed off just orbiting for uh, a couple minutes as we got the survivor up and secured them. Prepared to transition. It was kind of surreal looking over. And as we were preparing for forward flight, they were starting to make their approach into the bridge wing. You're like, it's kind of cool. You get two uh, 65s here, you know, for one moment in time that are just like on the side of the ship working it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we uh, went ahead transition. It was, uh, I think, maybe two miles to, like, you know, take off to the south, make a turn to the right, and land back at uh, St. Simons Airport. Um, so it was a very quick series that we had discussed about hitting critical items in the, uh, you know, the rescue check part three, level off check, landing hover, and 200-foot checks to make sure we got the gear down and we were prepared uh, for landing. But, uh, yeah, we pretty much... Once we landed, which I did give Max the landing after all that flying I was doing. <laughs> that was, we were on approach and I remember he looked at me and goes, Hey man, you want the landing? And I was like, Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Spoken like a true co-pilot. <laughs> <laughs> Max, were so, you talking uh, to the pilot and the captain on the radio? Did they have like a handheld VHF? So I, I remember there was some chatter about that. I think they were pretty quiet on channel 16. Um, and that was, and, and, and Rob, um, Eric or Hayden, correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I remember, we were pretty much talking to the tug and the station and I don't, you know, this is just great work by the other helicopter, but they were coordinating on a completely different side of the house and, you know, they moved into some, you know, some other survivor concerns inside of the bridge without really much, um, uh, intervening from us. So that was, and it just, it just worked out perfectly. Like, like Rob was saying, you know, seamless, like as we split out, you know, to the airport behind us, they were moving in and they were getting a whole other set of survivors. So mm -hmm. it was, it was just, it was working like clockwork at that point, which is, which was really great to see. Um, Hayden, uh, hardest toys you ever did. Oh yeah, for sure. I'd yeah. say so. Yeah. Yeah. Was it the altitude that, uh, that was probably, I'm, I'm assuming death perception has got to be the hardest part. Yeah. The altitude death perception, um, the, second round of hoisting that we did uh, wasn't as bad because the ship was listing at maybe 80, 70 to 80 degrees. It wasn't quite 90 yet. Okay. And I don't think the ship was actually even fully aground. So we were able to actually use essentially the basketball court and Eric was almost able to rappel down it. Yeah. Which made that side of hoisting 
much easier. But yeah, I would say I would say the first hoist that we did to the to the pilot house was pretty difficult. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, it sounds like you guys, like Kenny was saying, we're just clicking, working great as a team. And, and that just shows uh, probably the value of the training that you guys were doing in Savannah and then and the camaraderie and, and the, the crew makeup that you guys had. Um, anybody got any other uh, last minute things before we, we wrap this up about this case? Um, I think, uh, you know, from at least from my perspective, yeah, and the aircraft commander side is that, you know, not saying we're adversity because, you know, anytime you get signed off and any uh, qualification or designation, you're considered like ready to do varsity work. But you had, you know, kind of a, a junior flight mech, junior AC, new co-pilot, a poor season swimmer that's having to, you know, watch all this go down. But I think one thing that we had uh, kind of talked about, you know, before we got into any evolution was like, hey, let's not, let's not rush to failure. Let's make sure before we point this aircraft in any direction, make a move that we all have an idea of what's going to happen because, you know, there's a lot of like critical moving pieces that if we're anticipating incorrectly with each other, like it's not going to work out well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, part of that's the training that we do. But like you said, the camaraderie, it's just putting a lot of trust in each other, the way we train and uh, knowing that like when you do have to, you know, deviate from common standard practices, like, you can talk about it, make sure everybody understands how it's going to occur. And then, you know, watch it all play out with those measures put in place. Yeah. I think that's a really mature thing to, to recognize actually. And it happens to all of us, you know, we get on scene and we're type A and we want to quickly get things done. And I remember being on a case one time and that was me. I'm like, Hey, we're going to put the swimmer down this way. We're going to do this or this. And, and I remember I had a, uh, you know, pretty senior flight mech blaze pots and he just stopped me and he's like, no one is in immediate danger right now. And you look around and you stop and you're like, you're absolutely right. Like we have three minutes to talk about the things that we need to talk about to make sure that this goes smoothly so that we don't do something stupid. So I think that's really good to to recognize and actually really good. sounds like a takeaway that you guys got from this case uh, to, to future, um, you know, people that are going to go out and see something that they weren't expecting to see and improving yourselves professionally as, as pilots and air crew. So that's, that's awesome. Um, Rob, I do have uh, another question. We're talking about visuals. Did you have your hover page up at, were you kind of flying seat of the pants using the force or did you have enough visuals that you felt like you were able to, to do it strictly off of visuals? I I think I had enough visuals to, uh, you know, fly off of just kind of like looking at the ship, catching drift, uh, listening to Hayden telling me because obviously like at 150 feet you think your hover looks pretty decent but as Eric starts to oscillate not so much um, so yeah it was, it was primarily like I was fortunate enough to have you know a good reference point uh, throughout you know each evolution I think the uh, you know, probably the only time I didn't have that was when we put Eric down to the 45 when he went to go uh, assist in trying to get another crew member off um with the plan that we had come up with. And that was the, uh, you know, the only non cargo ship hoisting we did. And I'll say in that one, a lesson learned is, you know, if you have to put a swimmer down to a 45 while you're working a large case, you don't do, we didn't do underway hoisting. We did a DIW where we had them engage every, you know, heading position hold they could. Mm-hmm. And we uh, came in at a 45 uh, cut. 30 to 45 degree cut like you would underway hoisting and Hayden was able to put Eric down pretty smoothly. I thought, you know what? We don't normally train like that, but that's a lesson learned. Use everything you can while when, when it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Um, Eric, were you, was this after the, uh, like the final hoist, uh, did you go back to the airport with, uh, like your last two survivors and then come back out and then go down to the 45? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If I remember correctly, so we, we put the the last two back to the airport, went back out, and what Mr. Manny was saying. So there was another, uh, there was one last guy that was trying to, shim, or uh, actually it was the uh, the engineer, and in, in a stateroom down on the bottom side of the bridge, just trying to climb out uh-huh. and get down. The boat. So they came back out to throw me on the Coast um, Guard vessel to try to nose up. Um, the guy ended up at that point, the, the ship actually kind of 
dislodged a little bit and shook um, before we got up to it. And that kind of was enough for the uh, engineer to just kind of stack up and climb down the, the rope on his own. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so ended up not, not having to do um, anything at that point. Okay. Um, yeah. How did you get so, home? Did you, cause you didn't come back on the helicopter, right? Were you there the whole night? Yeah, we were there the whole night. Um, I stayed down on the vessel. That's when we picked up the fire department. Um, I was able to, I kind of just was providing comms to, I think Mr. Vickers came back out um, uh-huh. and trying to keep him abreast and, of what was going on. Because communication was kind of all over the place and misinformation was getting passed um, from the boat. Um, so I was able to talk directly to Mr. Vickers to let him know exactly what was going on. Um, versus um, the telephone game from Sector gotcha. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and the fire department was trying to get on the boat and so kind of just took it upon myself to stay in case they needed um, some kind of, because those guys don't work on the water, so there's still a water element to it. Um, so we helped them get on to a bottom section of the vessel to um, check out some of the um, scuttles to see if they can get in and find those guys that were stuck inside the ship. Um, ended up having negative results. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, so that was it. So you guys flew back and landed case complete kind of thing. Yeah. Duty over. Yep. Gotcha. Probably eight or nine in the morning by the time we flew back. Wow. Yeah. That's a full, that's a full day's work right there. So you guys have been up since I think you guys said like 2 a.m. So, you get back to the air stage, you guys do like a little quick debrief. Did you guys have a, a beer together or did you guys just high five and head home to go, go get some shed eye? We did some high fiving, you know, and, and talk, you know, uh, amongst the crew. And then I think Eric and Hayden peaced out and, uh, uncle Rob looks at me and says, Hey man, you mind doing the missile for this? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, hey, first of all, what is missile? <laughs> Bob just like, oh man. So we went up to the wardrobe and we got a couple of beers and went down and he, that's where I learned how to do missile right then and there. That's awesome. Yeah. I figured that I needed to give him a hand with that one. But yeah, we definitely cracked some Modellos and uh, went to town on that. Hayden, what about you? Drive home. Um, were you like replaying things like, hey, could I have done that hoist better? Had the drive, were you able to go straight to sleep or what? I just, I remember thinking, did that really just happen? Did we just do that? <laughs> yeah. Surreal. Yeah. Eric, how about you, man? You got uh, uh, lessons learned from your perspective. I know you're headed out the door. You're about to retire, but things you want to pass on to other swimmers taking your spot? Um, keep it simple, stupid. Um, when we were getting on, you, you feel, like Mr. Minnie was saying, you feel like the weight of how big this thing is. Um, but when it came down to it, um, it, no one was in immediate danger just yet. Mm-hmm. It, um, it was sitting stable. So slow it down and just stick to the basics. Um, unless you absolutely have to like go outside that wheelhouse. And for the most part, we just kind of stuck to the basics just in a very extraordinary circumstance. Um, just every had zero margin for error. Um, but I think it was taking it slow and steady, um, recalibrating after each hoist. And, um, and just stick into the basics. Um, if you interview Nate, Nate stepped outside, um, to, to do that. So there's, there's a, um, time and a place to do it, um, mm-hmm. when nothing works, but for the situation that we had and everything we had, um, that, that's all we need to do. Yeah. So, I, I like that too. You know, like as Kenny, you mentioned this as well, just, um, trying to fight through that adrenaline rush and take a deep breath and slow down and realize that you have two to three minutes or five or 10 or however long it might be to come up with a good concrete plan and not rush through things, especially when, like you said, Eric, people weren't in immediate danger. So thanks for that. That's awesome. Yeah, Max, uh, anything you would have, uh, changed or lessons learned that you want to pass to co-pilots out there? Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's important just to say again, I know we just talked about this, slow it down. I think you're right. I think that's, that's huge. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to have this experience so early because now every time, you know, I go on a star case, it is that, all right, deep breath, 10 seconds. Cool. We can do another three laps orbiting over this boat to talk about it. Um, and then another thing that, you know, is kind of, I think one of my favorite tools in my tool bag from all this is 
um, how important input is from the swimmer and the flight mech and how, you know, it's, you know, after, after the initial kind of like orbit and everything, you know, let, let everybody in the back of the helicopter talk and point things out and express opinions because not only can they see things different from the back, but then you also got, you know, somebody like Eric, who's been at the schoolhouse and somebody super seasoned and, and you can lean on that experience and, and, you know, they might come up with things that you absolutely, com- not you completely missed or, you know, you don't have the experience to know. So, you know, that, that everybody, you know, a round table in the helicopter before you jump in the star case is, is massively important in, in my opinion. So. Yeah, I fully, fully agree with everything you just said. That's great. Um, Hayden, what about you? Uh, major lessons learned, things you want to pass to flight mechs out there? Yeah, so uh, if things feel a little bit chaotic, just remember your training. At the end of the day, the hoist is very similar to what we do, even if it's the difference between a 45 and the golden rape, you know, on its side. Um, just communicate, remember your training, and mm-hmm. keep calm. And, you know, to echo what these guys said, a lot of times you have a lot more time on scene than you might think you do. Yeah. I, I like that you say that, man, because when you're on a case and because I listen to everything that you say, right? If you and I are flying together on a case and if I hear you getting excited or get quiet in the back, then I know something's up. Right. But like you said, like, remember your training. If you keep going through those standard calls and, and keep calm, man, that does wonders for us up front. Like I can't, can't uh, describe it any better. It's just, it's like just a warm and fuzzy and it's really helpful. Agree. Yeah. That's really good. Rob, you got anything, buddy? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll just uh, say, you know, everything we do out there is a team effort. Uh, I know it said the aircraft commander has 51% of the vote, but honestly, you have to listen to every member of your crew because some people have better ideas than you do in that position, and that's why you need those, uh, you know, that input. You know, always keep that atmosphere going because you ain't always going to be the smartest guy there or gal that, uh, you know, make no surprises with your uh, movements, talk to everyone, make sure everybody agrees to what you're going to do. And, uh, you know, just, um, be flexible, like, you know, know what the standards are for what you're going to do in case you have to make adjustments to it. And if you're going to make an adjustment, just make sure everybody knows what you're doing and they're all on board with it. Yeah. All right, folks. We just heard from the crew of six, five, three, one. That was uh, Rob Minio, Max Cherno, Eric Young, and Hayden Kelly. Uh, pretty incredible rescue off motor vessel Golden Ray. Uh, they were the first crew out there. Uh, and at our next episode, we'll be uh, talking with the second crew out there uh, who did uh, an impressive rescue of both the pilot and uh, I think it was the captain of the vessel off the uh, off the bridge. So looking forward to interviewing them and uh, stay tuned. We'll, uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks for having us, man. Gotta take every chance.